I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Within. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, <sighs> fanboy alert, I'm not going to lie. Um, I sit down with Daniel Kessler of Interpol. Interpol, one of my favourite bands, so I had to really try and rein this one in, um, but it was lovely. I was told um, there was a lot of press happening, so I'd get 30 minutes. I think I think I pushed it. I might have got 40 minutes in, um, but oh, it's a wonderful chat. You know, you find out about Daniel growing up in the UK, you find about some really early influences. We finish on an amazing, we're talking about an amazing band. Um, it's a cracking chat, this. Um, it's a really good episode and I can't wait for you to, to hear it. Before we get on with it, uh, a few thank yous. Um, big thanks to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Also, there's a new podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. It's called Tell Me About It and it's hosted by the aforementioned Scroobius Pip and little old me. Um, it's, a, it's a mini-series. There's, there's five episodes on Series 1 um, and it's long-form interviews um, of, of me chatting to to Scroob and uh, and I think you're going to like it. So um, for uh, for anybody that likes people talking about music and and creativity and and, and life journeys, then go check that um, podcast out because it's out now. Um, I'd like to thank Seventy Six uh, for putting uh, for producing this, um, and biggest thanks always go to you lot for supporting the podcast and. And yeah, showing the love on the socials and lots of likes, loves, shares, retweets, and yeah, and and lots of you have joined up with a Patreon, um, which is the the thing that helps me sort of you know bring a few pennies in to pay for the production and 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 the time to put these two free episodes I put out each week for free. Um, so thank you. If you want to head over there for a dollar a month, uh, you get loads of stuff, and uh, and that's at Patreon dot com forward slash off the beat and track um if this is your first time listening then welcome i need to tell you that you've turned up to the party really late because there's over 400 episodes out now already so um if you like uh yeah your indie music then you can hear me talking to suede uh episodes with foals idols sleeved mods oh gosh Loads and loads, Maccabees. Um, go, go and explore the back catalogue um, because there's bundles of uh, musicians there. Loads of episodes with big rock and roll bands like Foo Fighters, Tommy Lee from Motley Crue, Super Producers, Fatboy Slim, Butch Vig, 
Um, there's stacks. So go and um, explore the back catalogue when you finish today's wonderful natter um, with Daniel. And I guess that brings me on uh, to, to that chat. So please enjoy Off The Beat and Track podcast with Daniel Interpol. Sorry, ladies and gents, I've just got to jump in quickly and tell you that this podcast is proud to be in partnership with Hotel Chocolat. That's right. Hotel Chocolat, those people that make all the delicious chocolatey stuff, right? They have been my partner now for close to two years, and I can't thank them enough. Um, And one way that I can kind of help them is by telling all you lot about what they're up to. You know all about the chocolate stuff because you you go and get your chocolates from there. But some of you like a little tipple of booze, right? So if you do, you need to check out their velvetized cream range. So what they've done is they've got loads of all your favorite spirits and then they've added their lovely chocolatey magic-y stuff to it. So you can get like, uh, my favorite's the mint chocolate one. Go check out their mint chocolate velvetized cream because it is delicious. The salty caramel one will blow your socks off as well. There's loads. You need to go and check out uh, the alcohol range that um, Hotel Chocolat do. And I'm proud to tell you that this podcast is in partnership with Hotel Chocolat. Go check them out. But right now, get back to the podcast. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. Daniel, how are you today? Good. How are you? Yeah, I'm not bad. I'm not bad. Where are you today? I am in Spain. Lovely, lovely. Yeah. Well, Daniel, I'm going to um, ask you just uh, uh, before we get on with the playlist. I just want to sort of ask you to cast your mind back to um, the, those kind of weird 18 months of, of, of the world sort of stopping turning in the way it was turning. And, uh, and tell me about how you found the pandemic creatively. Um, I mean, I think for, for, for me, because we were, I mean, we finished touring on our previous record Marauder in November, 2019. So we were kind of, you know, we normally have a sort of cycle in that moment. where We just take a big break, go back to, regular life sleeping in your own bed and and then i started kind of writing anyway like you know just seeing what's there and and what ideas are are fermenting so in a strange way like to me short of being you know it didn't um i was already kind of like in a nesting sort of like initial stages of being you know trying to write new material anyway um so Obviously, it was a very bizarre time in the in the world, and it's in a very scary time, a frightening time, and a terrible time. And in, in in you know, but as far as like you know, I have a lot of friends. You know, in the in the it, I have a lot of friends who basically had records just come out, middle of starting tours, and you know their their yeah. plans obviously got very much wrecked and redirected and put on pause for very good reason. Uh, for me, it was already I was already in sort of in like that like as I was saying like that nesting period anyway. So being locked down, though not ideal, I was already kind of in a creative moment, and it just sort of kind of cemented the you know the well. A, a, I think I was pretty grateful that I had this thing that I was used to creating at home. I usually yeah. songs begin with me, and they begin like with me sitting on my couch and like playing a, a classical guitar and yeah. drinking coffee and watching a film or something like that. So not that much deviated from that. Cause that's what I was supposed to be doing. And I didn't really yeah, much absolutely. choice in that matter besides doing that. So, um, I put it to good use and, and I just cracked on with whatever he started, you know, working by the time the, 
the lockdown happened and and it, it you know and I, I wrote a lot of the songs that ended up being on our, our new record the other side of make believe during that moment of um the initial stages of being locked down and, and so forth okay wonderful well daniel let's start your playlist and i'm going to ask you please to track one to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro please well, this is where it's like, I feel like for me, it's like kind of an impossible, I mean, I guess for everyone, it probably is. I mean, I, you know, sort of racking my brain in in a very painful way, trying to get to the, what is my truly my favorite intro? Um, and I'm sure there is one, or there's certainly like three or four that I'd rank up there. I, I just couldn't get there, you know, under, under that pressure. I'm sure later on after we finish this interview, like, oh yeah, of course, duh. I'm sure you hear this all the time. But there's one, there's one piece of music and it's actually not completely like a intro per se, to what comes next in this song. They're like two different pieces of music, but I, I'm, I'm quite confident it was written to be sort of a setup um, for the next track. So it feels like one that, so essentially for all intents and purposes, they're separated by two, you know, as two tracks on the recording, but they really feel like one song together. And so the intro to that, like I would, I would, yeah, I would say, okay, so the technically the, the intro, cause it's, I would say it's just like the song is just an intro, the portion that I'm talking about. It's called Equally Damaged by Blonde Redhead. I just love it. But then what comes next is the song in particular, which is um, it just the, the the equally damaged ends. And then the other song like begins with like a, almost like a count off. And it's clearly they're meant to be sewn together. So yeah. um, still, it's pretty like, uh, you know, even on a recent run that we did um, for the last couple of months, we would end our show and we would play these songs, these two songs, because they're just like, they'll, you know, they did. And I, you know, these, this record came out in 2000 and it's you know still sounds very fresh and constantly you know i was a big fan of blonde head head you know years ago and then even you know and then i had like the very dream kind of moment of touring with them and they became like good friends and i've like had christmas you know dinners at their place and you know and things like that and now it's like it's very it's one of those nice moments where you go from them being kind of like heroes and you being like a little geeky fan about them and now they're just like your friends and like you don't even think twice about it and uh but nonetheless when i hear you know their music and when, in particular when i hear these two pieces of music yeah. um i just love them when you're writing uh tell me about like how how much time you spend on an intro uh and i'm also interested i've, I've never quite framed this question right daniel but I, I always like to ask songwriters this but the way that People seem to be getting their music now. They seem to be very spoiled and the attention spans seem to be getting shorter. And we're seeing more mainstream pop writers, these songs becoming short, almost jingles now, mm. and kicking with the chorus and, you know, no fat on the bone. You know, it's got to be like hook, right. hook, hook. How much of them kind of movements in, you know, where people find the music and how they, you know, access it and stuff, like, how much of that filters through into your creative process, if at all? I mean, this is, you know, sometimes it's, uh, it, it does. And then I feel like the, the, I mean, and I feel like in those kind of moments, that's some, definitely something where it goes less from the initial stages of me, maybe like writing a song and more when we're actually putting the song together and making it, you know, and it fleshing it out to become like an interval piece of music. That's maybe when we're like, oh no, let's not rush this. Let's like let, add a couple more sequences and just let it sit. Or there's like even, you know, sometimes you just, there are songs that are, you kind of put together with the idea that maybe they could become just like a, a meditative sort of, you know, there is no rush. They are, the intro is a song in some ways. I feel like even on our first album, uh, Untitled, the, the first track on that record, that song was written as an intro 
for when we were going on stage in New York in the early days, kind of like as a, you know, an announcement that here we are on stage and then it became the first song on that record. And it's a very non-rushed piece of music. It's a very minimal piece of music, even in terms of vocals, there's four lines and they're the same lines repeated. And I love that. I mean, in just in general, beyond the state of like a slow build intro, just the idea of like a song that is just, you know, it has the illusion of a song with changes, but ultimately it's the same progression over and over again. I'm very much in love with that cell where it's just there's parts that come and go almost like chairs in an orchestra that are called to play one part and then they sit down. But it's the same movement over and over again. Even the last song on our new record um, is called Go Easy in parentheses Palermo. And it's uh and it's just like the same guitar riff played differently, maybe with different kind of dynamics, more intensity and, and, and so forth that Paul has, vo- you know, verses and so forth vocally, but ultimately it's the same part over and over again. And, but the illusion when you listen to it, there's this change and that happens in this movement, but the nucleus actually is really within the same field. And I just like that. And I feel like when you have those opportunities to do some, you know, so much or so little like to me that's the best and i and rather than be like oh we put here here and then we go here and then we go there and like really jamming it in too much you know um and i feel like you know even like even from our catalog like something like um pioneer to the falls from our our third record which is it takes it's i don't know when vocals come in maybe like a minute i feel like actually the drums the drums come in like a minute and a half or two minutes into the song or something like that but when they do it's very gratifying. And when we play it live, it's very gratifying. And so I I think it's more of those moments of arrangement. It's less about like when they're, you know, it's just me writing the the piece of music. Those moments come, we're putting together and we're having discussion about how quickly things should come into play, you know? And it's, 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 it's like, I feel like we're still kind of a little bit old school in the sense that, you know, there's uh, we're an albums band. And so certain songs, you know, maybe they serve a good purpose being like a little bit more succinct and having, you know, like less is more kind of vibe. But then there's certain songs that, you know, let them be like six minutes because that's what they want to be. And they're great. And there's no, you know, it's like there's no it's not because we couldn't make it shorter. It's because like everything that's being said is being said, of you know, at least in our minds, intention and purpose and, and, and enhancing the. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Get some music. 
Absolutely. I'm going to take you back for track two. And I'm going to ask you, please, Daniel, to tell me the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. Yeah, I think it was actually Gino by Dexy's Midnight Runners. Oh, um, what a record. Li- yeah, I think I, I was, um, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's quite distinct because I was living in London at that time. I was born in London and I have two older brothers and, uh, um, and I just, I, I don't, I mean, I'm sure, you know, I, and I know both my brothers really like Dexys, Midnight Runners and so forth, but I don't remember that time. I felt like my oldest brother was, you know, is, was in the jam fan club and my first musical, we all shared a, a bedroom and my first um, musical memory is just staring at his wall of all the jam, you know, like you know, Paul Weller and all the jam cutouts and so forth and being like, I, you know, just, I didn't even, you know, beyond music, it was like, it's almost like the religion right there facing at me. And so that had a strong impact on me, but if Dexy's Midnight Runners felt like the first thing that I saw that just had an, you know, impact, not through, through my brothers, you know, by, you know, it was just something that I remember seeing them on top of the pops and, and uh, something about the way that they were dressed, their intensity, their commitment. Um, and, and the tune itself, just, I really, the whole thing, and I was, I was probably like five, but just really resonated with me. And, um even though like little wool hats i mean to this day i love like little night watchman hats like that you know i still collect them so yeah i i love that song I, you know and i just actually had to listen to it before doing this and i was like yeah yeah it's resonating me it's giving me the same kind of chills as it did when i was a little kid and it's so weird like when people talk about great vocalists like kevin Rowland's voice is so unique isn't it he sounds like nobody else it's such a crazy voice he's got and wonderful wonderful band and i think they get overlooked quite a lot and i think uh, I often talk about, um, I guess most people are familiar with Come On Eileen as a Dexys classic, which in the yeah. UK is just like, you know, it gets played at wedding receptions and it's just a, you <laughs> know, it's become a Mr. Brightside. Um, but when you get that moment, and, I, and I've gone on about it quite a few times in this podcast, if you get a chance like to sit down and listen to Come On Eileen and actually just like, not just take it for how you normally hear it in a party. It's an incredible record. It's got so many different places it goes, and it makes, on paper, it makes no sense, but it's just a really amazing piece of music that I think kind of gets a little bit sort of sneered at because it's become a party classic. Do, do you know what I'm saying, Daniel? I, yeah, no, the changes and the slowdown of the tempos yeah. and the, you know, and it's all, it's like, it, it's like a movement as well. It does feel mm. like that way. And they're all, you know, and I mean, even, but just like leaving, even, I feel like Gino too, though, when you look at this, it's like, and you're right about his voice, it's the, the range and um, the purity and the, and the, um, it just cuts, you know what I mean? You really Absolutely. feel it. And, and so it's, it's one thing actually almost like it was good to kind of go back and watch that top of the pops performance because, it's intense, you know yeah. what I mean? And I know Top of the Pops is Top of the Pops, but there's something about, like, they're just not, um, they're not phoning it in, you know? They're yeah. really, really just, like, they're just all there. Everyone's really doing their thing, and it's, like, it's, you're, I mean, it's like a, it's a, it's a deep scene change. There's something yeah. about, you know, they have, like, an agenda, and, they're, you know, you really feel it. Um, but I know what you mean by Come On Eileen as well, yeah. you know? Uh, they, they look like and, a you know, gang, didn't they? They look like a gang. I mean, they're, like, and, you know, they're, and, and when you, put it in the place and time of you know what was going on it's like they are carving out a, a, a niche that are not that's different than their peers you know there's a lot of th- there's a lot of gangs at that that particular moment in time coming out of the uk and that are you know are having a moment of, of attention but they look really different than the, you know the specials or from you know obviously the jam like we we're talking about yeah. and the dams and countless others wonderful wonderful well let's stay in the formative years for track three and i'm going to ask you please daniel tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school please 
this is actually switching gears. When I was moved, when I was eleven, I moved from France to Washington D.C. and um, and then a few years later, you know, it became like I got very much became a skateboarder, and then and then I got into Washington D.C. has like a very historic like D.C. like hardcore scene, <clears throat> and I got very much into that. I was really influenced by that. And to this day, I'm. It's probably like you know, Fugazi is probably the the band that's influenced me. Maybe the most as a as a musician, as um, as a guitarist, and uh, um, but I. The band that really just was just kind of mind blowing and still one of my favorite bands to this day. One of the bands I listened to before going to a show, before playing, you know, one of our shows is Bad Brains. And, um, and there's some, you know, and just, not, you know, they came from DC. And when you see old footage of them, I never got to see them in their heyday, but when you see old footage of them, it's just mind blowing the intensity of it. But, uh, um, the song Eye Against Eye, which is, you know, it's not later Bad Brains, but, you know, Bad Brains put out the first record, I think like 1980 or 79 or something like that. This is like 1986, I think, which in, yeah. you know, in that time period, it felt like, oh, eons later. And it, and musically, it is a bit little, you know, I was never a metal person. I was always more of like punkish, hardcore kind of stuff. Um, and metal and, um, you know, and, but there's something about I against I where there's like a mixture. They actually were not afraid in that song to incorporate some kind of metalish sort of riffs into like a hardcore kind of vibe. And then again, we're, you know, talking about time signature changes and just kind of crazy slowing it down, picking it up. And then you put in the time and place of how they recorded it. There's, they were such, um, superb musicians just like extreme you know just so great that you know that they did this all together you know they probably did this like in a day or whatever you know it was you know not not with much cushion and um but you feel the song when i hear it to the say it just hit it brings me right back to being you know a, you know 15 year old or something what do 15 year old dan you want to be at school uh i man, you know just wanted to make it i think out of school you know really just it was not easy <laughs> moving to uh it was not a movie, easy moving to America. It's like a little English French kid. And I was just trying to kind of fit in and not like really stick out too much. But I started playing guitar when I was like 14, 50. So around that time and didn't have any, you know, wasn't any uh, uh, illusions that I could, you know, one day, like, you know, you know, I was playing in bands in high school and stuff like that, but I never thought I'd be able to play music with my life or whatever. I was, uh, I was just trying to finish school and then move to New York. That was like my plan essentially. And, and then, you know, as as once I moved to New York, it just became like I, I was still writing songs and I was kind of feel like I was progressing and, and so forth. But um, still, like I knew that, hey, you know, you you got to do something. You know, this is not going to this is not going to work for you. This is not this doesn't odds are stacked against you. So I started working at record labels and so forth. But while still playing and, you know, um, playing music and writing songs and I, you know, I started Interpol and, and then while still working at record labels and then. Slowly but surely, you know, the, you know, it wasn't until um, like I opened Domino USA, Domino Records, the U.S. office in my house. And it wasn't until Interpol was basically a month or two into touring or maybe a little bit longer on Turn On The Bright Lights, our first record that I was like, maybe I can quit my job now. <laughs> and so that's when I like, I was like, hey, Domino, we were like close friends. Like maybe this, you know, but so, you know, the long story short at that time, I didn't know. I was just trying to yeah. just trying to get through high school and stuff. But I'm always interested as to like how location affects uh, like aspiring musicians and people that want to sort of excel in in a creative industry. Mm. Surely, with a guitar in your hand and 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 wanting to do something in music, coming from DC and seeing how DIY culture is so it's so famous, you know, for that hardcore scene yeah. and the, the, the whole kind of you know everything that Fugazi stands for and things like that. It must have felt like oh, okay, look, people from around here can do this. 
100%. For me, it's uh, um, Fugazi. I mean, just like Discord in general, you know, and it's like the beautiful age, which I mean, I guess in some ways maybe it's come back a little bit in the sense that vinyl, people do buy vinyl and, and cassettes now and things like that. So the physical aspect, but just when you actually back in, the, in that time period, both on cassette on, on vinyl, when you just study the back of a record and you're like Discord and then you're like, who, you know, and you're seeing the scene and you're imagining the scene and you're a little bit, you know, the guy on the out, the kid on the outside and you're yeah, like yeah. seeing where they played even in the heyday, like one of the places that they used to do shows like mine and Fred and all those bands was very close to where I lived. And so you're like, wow, kind of, you know, a little bit pride, a little bit mind blown. And, um, but then it's, you know, as I was mentioning before, Fugazi to this day is uh, probably the band that had the most influence on me where it was just, yeah, their, their ethos for sure that like you can do whatever you want to do is you put your mind to it. And then just sort of having, um, I, I don't know, like a moral sense about doing things. The fact that they always like charge so little at their shows and postmarked all their CDs yeah. were like, don't pay more than $8 or $9. And all those things, these things are like these principal notions. And I got to see Fugazi quite a few times and there was just incredible, like easily one of the best bands I've ever seen in my life to this, you know, for sure. But then also just like listening to their records and seeing the progression, like from Fugazi, from like, uh, Ian going from minor threat to embrace to Fugazi and you're like, wow, they're like night and day. And then the sophistication of Fugazi. And then for me as, as like a, a guitarist, just seeing, wow, that they could do so much with, uh, with so little, you know, like, um, they, just they, they were very innovative the way they used and minimal the way that they use their guitars and so forth, creating these sounds and the way they played off each other. And then also incorporating sort of like dub reggae undertones into the music and, and so forth that, um for me i just like i was like I, I just like learned so much just by actually thinking about it and that time i was like maybe when i was in high school i probably like get you know guitar solo pretty well and do those kind of things but then watching fugazi being like the just really kind of like i learned so much about the the construction of their their, their music and and the minimalism of, and and also and the architecture of some of the songs where you just don't they, you know they they don't they, they don't go from a verse to a chorus or a verse it's going they go in new directions and so forth yeah. that it just really blew my mind. It was a really formative thing. And, and, um, yeah, and to this day, I'm, I just got, you know, I never get tired of the records. I listen to them all the time as well. And, um, uh, and I can, and it does take, when I listen to like, uh, certain songs from, you know, the record in on the kill take or repeater, it brings me back to that, that moment of just like learning as like a, a young guitarist and, and as a songwriter. And I think it really changed my perspective on how to approach, um, yeah, writing music sincerely. Tell me the first song you remember buying from record store, please, Daniel. This was when. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM. 
I was living in France, uh, and there's I lived in a tiny, tiny village where there, you know, there wasn't even a supermarket. And uh, so to go to a record store was, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I got, the, I think I probably had to go to Paris. It was like 45 minutes away or something like that, but it was uh, the unforgettable fire. So it wasn't a song, it was an album, but, yeah. um, but it was also something It was, again, you know, I had two older brothers who were, you know, really wore music on their sleeves, dressed apart, you know, cut the hair of the part. And this is like, for, you know, first part of the eighties. So when you did that, it was sort of like, you know, like you're putting yourself out there a little bit, yeah. you know, it was a declaration in some senses, um, that, uh, uh, that, that that was a record that I wanted to buy. You remember those? Yeah. Uh, those one at that time in France, there was like three t- channels, and then and late night, like on Tuesdays or Wednesday, there was a a show called the uh, Les Enfants du Rock, the Kids of Rock or whatever, and it was on like very late at night. And my brothers would tape it, and I remember seeing this is this is pre uh, the Unforgettable Five. But I remember seeing on you know New Year's Day by YouTube and just being kind of like in love with that song yeah. and that video and them just like in the snow and all this and that. Just being you know when you're like that young, I think at times you internalize music. For me, at least, I internalized it more emotionally than even understanding what it was. It was more, yeah. it was hitting me in my core, and I, I didn't even know why, but it was a, a react, you know, I was really reactive to it. And then um, I don't remember, like, how I made the plan to get the Unforgettable Fire. I don't know if it was just from seeing that song from, you know, obviously the, the previous record, uh, or if it was uh, just being at the, you know, at the FNAC in Paris, something like that. But it was like, you know, seeing that record, I was like, I'm buying this. This is nothing yeah. to do with my brothers. This is my own act here and spending my own money to get it. And yeah. And, um, yeah. Tell me a, a little bit about your relationship with the record store growing up. Well, at that time, it was a real thing because there's just, you know, it was like once, I don't know, because, you know, it was like, yeah, it's good. I mean, really, the real record store was to go to the FNAC in, in Paris. And that was like, you know, like, like, like I said, like 45 minutes. So it would be, um, not something you could really count on, but you'd go there and you, you know, and, 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 uh, and you try to make the most of it. I mean, I was pretty young at that time. This is like, I left France when I was just about to turn 11. So, but as I got older, yeah, you, you know, you, uh, when I lived in Washington DC, you'd go and you, would, yeah, you spend time. You could just like, really like, like we were talking about before, you just really study the back of yeah. record sleeves and even things that, you know, I didn't even understand what they really meant until we started making records, uh, like mastered, like mastered yeah. by, but you would see these common names that you'd see on, you know, different records. And you'd be like, Oh, that guy mastered this record that, you know, all these things that you're just trying to devour every single little piece of information. Yeah. I mean, I remember like, even like, and I don't remember what the records were, but I do remember seeing the first time I saw it was in Washington DC, but I do remember seeing, um, when I first saw produced by flood and I was just like, what does that mean? <laughs> like produced by flood. What is flood? Like, you know, I didn't understand that what that was. And obviously now plus produced our record. Um, so it was, it was great to have that honor to work with them. But I do remember thinking like, what is this? You know what? I didn't understand what produced meant. I didn't, yeah. you know, and I didn't certainly don't know what like is flood a, a person, a thing. Like, what is this? You know, but you, you, you want to, you know, you start trying to, you start paying notes of that. You start connecting dots between certain records that you see in these names and commonplace, you know, and I think the internet kind of has taken some of that magic away For from sure. their I journeys so and, and, and I, that I devouring so. them record sleeves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I imagine this is going to have been when you probably got to, maybe even New York or, or maybe uh, the, some of the, the, the latter times in, in DC, but tell me the song that soundtracked uh, clubbing. And I should put on a, 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 a little sort of tag on that question that that can be just hanging out in a dive bar. That can be, you know, a local rock club that hasn't got to be some techno chrome covered nightclub. That can be right. you know, anything where uh, you'd go and party and listen to records. 
Well, yeah, there was when I moved. It was when I moved to New York when I was eighteen, nineteen. My my middle brother was living in in New York, and he was um, so. This is like probably mid nineties, early mid nineties, and um, uh, he was going to parties a lot. He was going to like raves. There were like back then it was still like raves, and you know you'd go to the the techno store or whatever, and they'd be like, "Here's where the rave's going to be this weekend in this warehouse." You know, they actually were like very like in that sort of like they were in the UK and so yeah. like illegal raves and warehouses that you could get away with. So then, um, so I would on weekends. I was like, one part of me was this sort of like hardcore kid when I first moved to to New York, hang out with like a lot of straight edge kids and so forth. And then there's another part of me going out and spending, you know, being up you know, all night into the morning, you know, partying. And, I'd be, and, and at that time, like the kids who go to raves and clubs and the kids who, like hardcore is actually dressed very similarly. So I kind of fit into that. But I didn't have to really change my, my, my outfit and so forth. But um, they were like very two different worlds. But those, uh, um, but they were, my brother and his friends were really, they, they were really, they were really into like house music and, 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 um, and they turned me on to, and I, and I had like a really great time going to like New York clubs and, and going to raves. And sometimes we would travel to like a rave, like up in Massachusetts because it's supposed to be the, you know, like this DJ and so forth. But those, um, my brother and his friends became kind of friendly with, uh, I think friendly, or maybe they actually just begged him, but do you know Derek Carter, the, the house DJ? Yeah, so they, I don't know, I mean, they, they. I think maybe they became friendly just because he would see them, they were like huge fans of his, and they would see him, you know, we'd, he'd be like one of those DJs that we'd go drive to see, you know, go to like Massachusetts to go see him at this rave, and there was one time at a party, they like came up, they, I, I don't know if I was there or if I just wasn't, I definitely wasn't in this particular moment, but they went up to him, and they were like, and this is the age of like, the mixtape for like the DJs would make. That's the only way you could get their their stuff. There was no, you know, obviously there was no internet really, or like it wasn't being used like this, and there was no CDs for the stuff. They were DJs would make mixtapes, and you could buy them from the local like techno store or whatever. And um, and uh, they're like they're basically begging him for like any if he had a mixtape that they could have. And uh, he was like, well, I just made this mixtape for me for this trip from Chicago here. And they got it. And then there was a song at the end of the song. And his he mixed it was like an old, it was clearly an old piece of music, but he mixed in, you know, he'd done his own thing. So like another piece of music, like a house, like a more modern sort of house beat, whatever. But they were in love with the the top layer, the vocal and so forth. But at that time, you you know, to figure out what it was, it, you know, if you didn't know already, you're just, you know, you're basically at the whim of asking people. Yeah. And we used, you know, and and um <laughs> basically it was a. Uh, so we went, you know, so like, and I, I fell in love with this piece of music too. It's like a great, great song. I'm not trying to like build this up, whatever, but we basically spent like, uh, like a whole day just going to every single record store in New York city and just singing this line to like the guy <laughs> like that. I mean, like it's this and blah, blah, blah. And like most people didn't know. And then we finally went to this store on a uh, car street in, in the West village. I don't, I don't know if it was, I feel like it was like this place called house of records or something like that. And the guy's like, of course, Womack and Womack teardrops. Oh. And, um, but now I know it's been celebrated. I know the XX have covered it, but that time, but it wasn't something that you were hearing all the time, you know? And this is like, probably 95 94 and um but we love that song and then you got the, and and also we love the one that like Derek Carter had done too you know yeah. so but that song to me it was it's just a chunk on memory like what we're talking about as far as like you couldn't get things oh let me just look it up put a few words yeah, in the yeah, computer yeah. and boom 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 you had to you know I or, you know I'll never forget to say and it obviously ended like great by like the guy like telling us what the song was and then selling us a record and be like praise the lord and like you know like you know listening to the OG version of it and 
and uh, really appreciating it. And, and then also really appreciating what Derek Hart had done to it by just mixing it in just for something for his, uh, for himself for the trip. Um, but at the same time, like I'll never forget that day because everything we went through to get to yeah. that little pot of gold. I love that that was, that was Shazam in the 90s singing it to the guy in the record yeah, store. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, people in New York and record store, that's exactly what they really want. You know, some guy coming in there. <laughs> well, I'm going to take you home, and I'm curious what, where you're going to call home. And uh, for track six, please, Daniel, tell me the favorite song from an artist from your home county, please. Uh, is, is that what it, that's a question? Is that what the, I have it as, oh, for, yeah, yeah. Say for, but not from the night. is it from the 90s or is it not? No, it can be from any time. Home County. Oh, uh, sorry. I thought you said from nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. To me, this is where it gets confusing because I'm like, you know, I moved around so much as a kid, but I lived in, you know, I lived in, in London until I was like six and, and, uh, my mother was from England. So, and then whatever. So to me, it's just sort of there for me. I don't know. This is a really hard one to kind of break it down, right? There's just, it's, uh, too difficult. But I would say, if I had to choose, I would say The Clash had such a formative influence on me. And The Guns of Brixton is still, you oh. know, I mean, there's so many great, great Clash songs. But that one just, I don't know, it just, you know, as soon as it drops on the stereo, you're like taken back to that first time you heard it. And uh, yeah. I just love it. And I remember when I was like 13 and uh, I had this ingenious friend who had like a hoodie and uh and, and granted there's far better ways now i'm like wearing like little wireless headsets in my you know my earbuds but uh back then what he you know you couldn't do that so what he did is he so he had a hoodie and he'd sewn walk like his head earpieces inside of his hoodie put it on his head and then you had like a walkman and so he could just like li- you know and i knew he was like listening to clash a lot back then and i just like you know so he could basically be listening to the Clash while in school with his hoodie on his head and get away with it. The ingenuity of that kid for that, yeah, genius for that. Then I was like, wow, man, that's really like going the extra mile. But I love the Clash, like a huge influence on me. Like Timeless, will never get old, and yeah, uh, I can never see enough footage on that band. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's the last track, Daniel, and I'm going to ask you, please, um, to be uh, a tastemaker now and. Uh, it's a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear, please. Yeah, this one is um, it's called The Search for Cherry Red by Jonathan Fire Eater. Um, it was a band that, you know, existed from probably, I don't know exactly when they started, maybe like 93 to I, I supported them in my band. <laughs> no way, you did, really? <laughs> it chumps but in Essex, I supported Jonathan Fire Eater. Because it's, it's the guy from The Walkman, right? It's 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 a few of the guys from the Walkman, exactly. Yeah, yeah. My band supported them one night, and yeah, they were incredible. Sorry, man. I just, no one no, mentions no, that no, band, no. and it was like I was like when the Walkman blew up, I was like, oh, I remember them guys. We supported them way back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. They uh, and, and 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 weirdly enough, is when I when I was living in DC in high school, my high school band played uh, a show with the precursor to Jonathan Fighter, which some oh, of those, wow. those kids, are, yeah. So it was the same. It was the same drummer that would go on to John Fighter and the Walkman. Same uh, guitarist who would do the same. And the singer of John Fighter at that time was the bassist in this band. So to me, I've been watching this band since I was like a kid. You know, we're about the same age. But the moment they had like in like, I get, yeah. I and mean, like, so then, you you know, like they, they were sort of almost, they had like this, this huge moment in New York where they were going to be like, you know, they were sort of kind of christened sort of saviors of like New York City rock and roll. They had this very exciting moment. They were the talk of the town. They were like uh, a incredible, um, really just amazing live and you know super cool style. Um, Stuart the singer is just you know a poet, just you know just 
irresistible like just you know when he told you it's telling you a story and you were just you know you just dropped it you know your all of your attention were on the music and on him and what he was telling you they're incredible there's so much hype you know and they got you know it was like a, the folklore of you know rock and roll they got a huge deal and this and that and then you know like this the the some you know they had some bad luck and some terrible things and so forth and so they didn't live up to all this attention that this anticipation um, but the music did, you know, and yeah. this EP did, the, the EP, um, Tremble Under the Boom Lights, that's what it's called. Like, that's like, and this, this record, that's what Search Cherry read the songs from. But this song to me is to this day, I just love the song. It just, it just kills me. And it's just like the epitome of cool and it's a great story. And, um, and I, you know, and, and I just love them. And to this day, there's like a fan club of John Fighter, you know, like, yeah. um, sometimes I, you know, you'll, you'll come, uh, you'll get like a connection with like, some friends and other bands by their like common sort of uh, uh, allegiance to this band or having this moment of seeing them. Yeah. Um, what was the name of your band? Uh, Lilo. Lilo. Okay, cool. I know like, for instance, like I know um, Jamie from the kills. I know the kills have covered this song. Search yeah. Trader, I know oh, that. Really? Oh yeah, they have. Yeah, they did too. And I've, I think I've seen them play it actually. And, uh, um, and also I, you know, and I know that he had the same, a similar affinity too. So you get these sort of like bonding moments about, you know, this band, there's a few or, you know, I've, yeah, it's just, so it's like, if anyone saw them, they kind of know, you know, it was a really special time. And in some ways, uh, you know, good or bad, the attention that they got, the anticipation was almost like the precursor to what the strokes, you know, would eventually yeah. get. And then obviously the time was better for them and they, you know, and the strokes are an incredible band and, and, yeah. and still doing it today. So, but yeah, I feel like John Fire had like occupied a very special time in the, a very special chapter in New York rock and roll history. Oh, wonderful. Well, I'm always happy to shout about them. And, and, and what we do, Daniel, is put together a little Spotify playlist to accompany the podcast uh, with all of the song choices that you've done today. And, and obviously we'll put uh, Interpol's music on there as well. Uh, and so so what's happening with Interpol? Tell me what's, what's coming up, Daniel. Yeah, uh, we're just about to start a tour of uh, North America with uh, Spoon. So we start that August 25th. Um, we do that for about almost a month. Um, and then we, uh, which is great. Spoon's an amazing band and longtime friends. And then, um, and then in November we do a South American run and, uh, we'll be touring quite a bit for the next, uh, <laughs> year or two, you know, for quite some time, but I'm very much looking forward to it. I'm really excited to have our, our new record finally out there. Oh, wonderful. Daniel, honestly, thanks so much for your time. It's been a real joy just talking records with you, mate. Likewise. Thanks for having me. There you go. I felt like I kind of reined in the fanboy a little bit. Uh, let me know otherwise if you thought I was just, um, yeah, just swooning all over uh, his answers, then uh, do give me a nudge. But, um, oh, just great. What an op- I mean, how amazing growing up. And I didn't get Daniel's song picks ahead of it either, so I didn't know what they were going to be. And so it was lovely to kick things off with Dexys and Gino and, and just talking about them you know, early days of, you know, your brother having, you know, big posters of jam on the wall, like, wonderful, like, did not expect to hear that. Being a teenager in DC, getting to see Fugazi, um, and then moving to New York, um, I mean, there is, it explains just why, why Daniel and Interpol are just off the level call, and, uh, and it was a real, 
a real joy to get to sit and and talk to him. Go check out the new Interpol album. Um, go check out Interpol. If you've never just had a deep dive uh, on that band, oh, you have got some fun weeks ahead of you. They're, they're a truly wonderful band. You ever get to see them live, make sure you don't pass up on that because they're a great live band as well. Um, the fanboy's now coming out of me. I can get it all out of my system now. Daniel's not here. Um, but yeah, so huge thanks to Daniel uh, and, uh, and the team for... Um, uh, uh, agreeing to do this this episode and thanks to you lot always for listening thanks loads i, I really appreciate it you know I'm, I'm, I'm having so much fun having these chats and it's lovely that that people listen and uh and there'll be another one very soon and like i say 400 episodes in the back catalog uh if you're, you're desperate for a quick fix and other than that i'm back next time be nice to each other i'll see you soon <laughs> It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. Eight o'clock.